How is everybody today? Good. Well, I am grateful to be here today and thankful that Brandon has given me another opportunity to be here. And I just want you to know that I'm very grateful for all of you who are patient with me and learning how to do this kind of thing. And uh, so it's, it's good to be here uh, and able to know that and nobody except Mike is going to make fun of me. Because I know Mike... <laughs> Because I know you would do that, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you have your Bibles today, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the pew in front of you there. You can grab that and use that. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Let me read that for us. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you again for the privilege of being here uh, as Christians, Lord, to look at your word and study it and learn what you have to tell us. And I pray, God, that as we sit and go through this time, that you would speak to our hearts, encourage us with these words, Lord. Motivate us to be the followers of Christ that you want us to be. And we give you praise for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last three weeks, Brandon's been talking about being unashamed, and most importantly of the things that we are to be unashamed about is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things that Brandon said he was unashamed about was this congregation and these people, and he held up the picture of the congregation. He's unashamed of this church. And if you've studied even a little in the New Testament, you know that the Apostle Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, and you know that uh, he was faithful in that. And in the first chapter of Philippians, not only do we read about that, we also find that Paul is unashamed of the saints or the church at Philippi. We can see by the way he addresses them and, uh, and how he feels about them that he is unashamed of them. In fact, he has a deep love for them, a deep affection that he calls the affection of Christ Jesus. That said, this sermon is not a continuation of uh, the unashamed series, but it's a sermon about the affection of Christ Jesus. And what did Paul mean by that statement? 
and what is the affection of Christ Jesus and why should we have this kind of affection towards one another as followers of Christ? And Paul wrote this letter in Greek and the Greek word he used that has been translated to affection actually means bowels. And if you have a King James Version, it actually still uses that word. But although it sounds kind of strange, when you, when you look at it, uh, this is a way that Paul was communicating to them that his feelings for them came from deep within. It came from his core, the way that he felt about the Philippian Christians. And, and so they wouldn't have been confused by his language. The word that he used there, they would have understood. So when he says that he yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus, he is wanting them to compare how he feels about them with how Christ feels about them. And Paul knows that they can immediately make the connection uh, with the gospel and the way that Jesus loved them by his death and resurrection for their sins. So what is the affection of Christ Jesus? For anyone who has received merciful salvation by the grace of God through faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you know exactly what kind of affection that is. That affection that would cause Jesus Christ to sacrifice his very life for you and for me, not because of a single thing that we did, but because of the depth of his love for us. And if we could put up on the screen Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the depth of the love that he has for us. So where did that kind of affection come from for Paul toward the Philippian Christians? So think for a minute about <clears throat> a married couple, maybe who's been married 50 years or more. Um, they are a very loving couple. You know how they care for each other by the way they treat each other and by the way that they meet each other's needs there's something about them that's very special. It draws you in. They make movies about this kind of thing because we're drawn to it. We, we want to see that. We want to know what this is all about, this kind of a relationship. So when you hear about them or you're listening to their story and you're getting involved in it, what's one of the questions that comes up? One of the things you want to know is, where did you meet? Mostly it's women that wonder that because men are usually just satisfied with they've been married a long time. But, <laughs> no, but <laughs> we don't need all the details sometimes. But anyway, we, we want to know the backstory because it helps us understand why they feel the way they do about that person. God designed us to desire this kind of affection. He designed us to desire this kind of relationship first and foremost with him, but also with each other. So when we see the words that Paul uses with the Christians in Philippi, we need to know the backstory, and we need to know where did they meet. The letter to the Philippians doesn't really give us the backstory. It doesn't tell us where they met and how that came about. And for that, we have to go to um, Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 16. So you can begin to turn there, because uh, we'll be there in a minute. And... There we can read about what happened that brought this meeting about and see that it was not in Paul's original plan. Uh, this meeting was orchestrated by God. Paul and Barnabas had already been on their first missionary journey and started many churches. Now they wanted to go back through where they had started those churches. And they wanted to meet with those Christians again and strengthen them. 
and to deliver some key decisions that had been made by the apostles and the elders uh, about what was going to be required of Gentile believers. And Paul and Barnabas, Scripture says they had a sharp disagreement uh, before they went on this trip because Barnabas wanted to bring Mark, and Paul um, didn't really trust Mark at that point. Uh, From previous experience, he felt that Mark had deserted them, and so he didn't want to take Mark. And so Scripture says it was a sharp disagreement, so much so that Paul and Barnabas split company, and Paul took Silas with him, and Barnabas took Mark, and they went their separate ways, all doing the same thing, trying to go and encourage the believers. So Paul and Silas split up, and and along their way, they met a young man named Timothy, who joined them in their journey. They continued up through Galatia and those areas up there. (coughs) Paul uh, and the people that they came across and the churches they visited, they were encouraged by um, their faithfulness. They were encouraged by the decisions that had been made and and brought to them, and their numbers increased daily uh, in the churches. And Paul wanted to go up into Asia, and he wanted to preach the gospel up in Asia, but he was kept uh, from, by the Holy Spirit from going there. And this is where we'll pick up in the story in Acts 16. So if you're in Acts 16, looking at verses 6 through 15, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Trous. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Trous, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, We went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So this relationship began because of the faithfulness and obedience of Paul and his companions as they listened to where God led them. They had a plan to go and share the gospel somewhere else, but God had a different plan. He wanted them to go to Macedonia. Not that Paul was trying to go and do something wrong. Of course, he was doing something good. He wanted to go share the gospel. But God had a different direction. He wanted him to go. And they were obedient in that. Uh, And Proverbs 16, 9, if we can put that on the screen, says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Sometimes we have to listen to God's leading in our lives. It's not always the plan that we might have, but we listen to God and do what God wants us to do. So they were obedient in that. Now, Philippi is in the northern, northeastern part of Greece. It was a major pathway for travel and trade. The city was named 
by Philip II of Macedon, who, according to what I can find, was the father of Alexander the Great. Uh, and at this point in time, it was a Roman colony, so mixed in were, with the Greeks were Roman citizens and a lot of Roman soldiers as well in this area that they went to. <clears throat> so they encountered this group of women down by the riverside, and one of them named Lydia came to faith in Christ because of the gospel message that they were sharing. And during the time they stayed there, uh, it was probably several weeks uh, or more, they continued to preach the gospel and more and more people would come to Christ. <clears throat> this was the beginning of the church at Philippi, the beginning of a relationship that would lead to Paul writing this letter that we're reading today some 11 or 12 years later after this meeting. Acts 16 goes on to show that the relationship between Paul and the Philippian Christians was strengthened by boldness and courage of Paul and his companions. <clears throat> How the people would see the power of God at work in these men. Paul and Silas and Timothy were eventually seized by some of the people that they angered because they cast a, a spirit out of a young girl who people there were making money off of. And so they cast the spirit out and they could no longer make money. So they grabbed them and uh, they began to beat them severely. They ended up being thrown in jail by this mob of people. <clears throat> the Philippians saw firsthand how God caused the earthquake uh, to break them free from their chains. But Paul and the others stayed in jail anyway, and they ministered to the Philippian jailer who was about to kill himself because he thought they had left. Uh, but they didn't. Paul, Paul called out to him and said, don't, don't harm yourself. Don't do that. And so this Philippian jailer, because of their faithfulness, came to Christ. During the years... After Paul left Philippi uh, and before writing this letter to them, he had many more difficulties, of course, as we can see in Scripture. And a lot of times of hardship uh, in his spreading of the gospel. But the church at Philippi was always there for Paul. They were faithful in their service to him. They supported him with gifts, uh, with prayer, <clears throat> and they supported him with their own continued faithfulness to Christ. Let's look at that back in Philippians and we'll go back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Now this is after the part where we're reading uh, here at the beginning of Philippians, but it, it again gives us a picture of how Paul feels about the Philippian believers. Philippians 14, sorry, Philippians 4, 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So now when we read in Philippians 1, what Paul wrote to the church there, we can have a little bit of understanding about why he felt the way he did about them. And 
also gives us more information about why, uh, how much, all the background about what built that relationship and how he, how he got to that point. And look back at Philippians 1. Flip the page back if you have to. In Philippians 1, verses 3 through 7 again. <clears throat> so now reading this, having known our background of where, where they met, let's look at this in a different light. Verses 3 through 7. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. <clears throat> Paul viewed the Philippian church as partners with him in the cause of the gospel, and he did that from the very beginning. This filled Paul's heart with thankfulness and with joy. The very thought and remembrance of this group of people was a source of strength for him even as he sits in a Roman jail writing this letter to them. Paul said that it was right for him to feel this way about them because he holds them in his heart and because they are partakers with him of grace. And even while he's in a prison, and Paul knows that they are defenders of the gospel and their lives confirm it to others, it is these very things that lead him to have, to have what he calls the affection of Christ Jesus for them. And he says he yearns for them with that kind of affection. You might say, well, that's great for them, but what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that that's exactly the kind of relationship that God has called us to have for one another. So why should we have it? Well, Paul has given some reasons in what we just read what this kind of relationship did for Paul, a man who's following God faithfully in, in extremely dangerous times. And according to verse 3, it brought him a heart of joy and thankfulness just to remember these people that support him. So another thing is a reason why we should have it is it increases boldness, increases boldness. Look at verses 12 through 14 in Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay, it increases boldness. Now, I've been in law enforcement for 20 years, and I've been in some very uncomfortable and sometimes really scary situations. Uh, and around here, you have to get used to the fact that your, your backup or your partners are sometimes a ways away. Um, so you have to get used to that, and you have to, when you have a time where you know you have to take someone into custody, you kind of have to get creative with your words to stall a bit until you can get somebody else there to be with you. Now, as you can see, I'm not the bulkiest of cops, so... I, although, you know, I, no, I'm not the bulkiest of cops, you know. 
So, so since I'm not the bulkiest of cops, I've had to learn to use my words really well. Um, when I worked as a police officer in Fortuna, my grandpa John went on a ride along with me one time. And as I was up on a balcony dealing with a rather large, angry woman, uh, I can tell you that I clearly remember thinking that she could squash me. She could grab me and throw me off this balcony, you know, down to my death. And uh, I know that as Grandpa sat in the car watching, uh, he had the same things running through his mind as well. <laughs> but w- what a great feeling, though, when, when your partner arrives and you know that they know what you know and that they know how to handle the situation with you. And he's ready to jump in with you and be thrown off the balcony with you. No. <laughs> but but you, when you have someone else there, all of a sudden you feel more capable. You feel empowered to do what needs to be done. And that's how we should be as Christians with each other. We should encourage each other in that way. As we are partners in the gospel of Christ. It doesn't always change the situation or the outcome to have a fellow Christian with you, but to share in the struggles of life with another Christian, a person who knows what you know about Christ can bring a boldness in the face of any hardship. Another reason, it gives evidence. If we could have up on the screen here, John 14, 34 through 35, it gives evidence. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It gives evidence. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 is our next passage up there. And it's that uh, to do this, we are to be examples. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Next, it binds us together. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, "Put, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay? It binds us together. And the, the wording used in that particular passage goes back again to that concept of the bowels coming from deep within. Okay? And lastly, it glorifies God. Romans 15, 5 through 7. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When we live in harmony with one another, when we live in such a way that we have Christian affection for one another, it glorifies God and it gives evidence. So finally, do you have it? Do you feel this way about your brothers and sisters in Christ? 
If not, why not? We've clearly seen that this is the way we should be. Maybe you have the mistaken belief that this means that you have to be best friends with everyone. And you have to have everything in common with everyone. But that's just not true. It's not realistic. Some of my brothers and sisters in Christ in our church like to hike or jog or paint. and Many other things I'm not fond of. (laughs) But that's not what we're talking about. And I don't care to do these things if I don't have to, but I have a deep affection for my brothers in Christ anyway. I don't care for camouflage as a fashion statement. I don't like chocolate cake and milk. I don't like the Dodgers, and I, and, and I don't know why someone even invented Crocs, okay? But, but even though I don't have any of those things in common with Brandon, I still have a deep affection for Brandon. It's, it's not an affection based on those things. A relationship with this kind of affection exists because we have together partaken of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Maybe part of the reason we don't have this affection sometimes is because it just isn't easy. We are strange people. We do strange things. We're finicky, and sometimes we're not so nice, and sometimes we can be pretty selfish. So what do we do with that? Does that mean we don't do anything? Does that mean we don't work at it? Well, just the opposite is true. If you'll turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So if we don't live in this way with each other, if we don't have these feelings of affection towards one another, it's actually a hindrance to our growing in knowledge of Christ. It's a hindrance to a sharing of the gospel. And don't let our busyness or pride or shame or unforgiveness or differing personalities or anything, keep us from having a great affection for one another. Let's practice this together. Maybe you're hindered because you've never experienced the affection of Christ in your own life. You don't even have the first building block to this kind of relationship. But it's the only effect, it is only the affection of Christ Jesus that makes this kind of living possible in the first place. So as we practice this together, 
when we're away from each other, do we long to be back with one another? Do we think about our Christian brothers and sisters? When a Christian brother or sister is growing and maturing in faith, let's rejoice with them. Does that make us glad to know that a brother and sister in Christ is growing in their faith? It made Paul glad. Let's look at each other as partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only at church, but at work, at school, or wherever we are, that we have each other's back, we meet each other's needs, we support each other in prayer. This is what we do for our missionaries when they receive money from us, when they receive packages from us. They know that we're praying for them. This brings joy to them. Even though we're not there with them, like the Philippians weren't there with Paul, but he received their gifts. He knew they were praying. He knew they were growing. And that brought him joy, even in the midst of being in prison. Let's be that way with one another. Let's have the, the affection of Christ in our lives for one another. And it's all to the glory and praise of God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come together each week in a large group as Christian brothers and sisters, encouraging one another and lifting each other up and giving you praise and glory. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to practice these things that are not easy, that you would help us to practice having this kind of affection towards one another, knowing the affection that Christ had for us. Give us the strength to do this, Lord. Help us to live in such a way that we give evidence of the love of Christ in our lives. And we'll give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.